You are listening to the District Church Podcast. To learn more about us, find us online at districtchurch.org. So today we are in week three of our series entitled Mission Possible. Mission Possible. Pastor Kevin kicked us off a couple weeks ago and shared with us the Great Commission that Jesus has given us to make disciples of all nations and to teach people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. It's, it's really a huge mission when you think about it, to go to the ends of the earth, to reach every people group on the earth with the gospel, uh, to be able to, to hold forth this message of God's saving grace. It's also difficult because we know we face opposition in doing this, right? We, we, we face our own insecurities, but we also uh, face threats from others. And so most days, it feels like mission impossible, but Jesus assures us in his word that it is possible that we can be a part in our lifetime of seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, Pastor Kevin talked about how we are to be, to be on mission with God, how it's supposed to really start in our hearts before it leads to our actions. And this week, I want to talk to you about how we are to go. So it's about movement. Somebody say, we are to go. We are to go. go simply means to move from one place to another. To move from one place to another. It involves departing or leaving your current position. Jesus had just spent three years with his disciples he had just died a public and gruesome death for the sins of the world. And then he rises from the dead, and the last thing he tells his disciples is to go and make disciples of all nations. This is not a passive faith that we are invited into, but it's very action-oriented. We're not just to be on the receiving end of this. You know, it's really incredible to think that God's plan from the very beginning has been to put his family back together, to get this message out to everyone, and then to involve us, despite us, to involve us in his mission. I mean, he could do it without us, but he invites us to be a part of telling others what has been accomplished through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So he tells us to go. And just like it wasn't enough for Jesus' disciples to just continue sitting under his teachings and then not responding to them, it's the same thing for us that we are to obey everything that he commanded. To go means to, to, to leave that current place that you're in or that current state that you're in and to move to a place more aligned with advancing God's kingdom, which requires disrupting the status quo to a certain extent. And I don't know what your status quo is or what your comfort is, but it's, it, it shakes that up a bit. You know, we've been studying this Great Commission for, this is our third week, and we'll be in it next week as well. And one of the reasons we wanted to spend so much time really reflecting on Matthew 28 is because it's really convicting. Like a lot of us, if you grew up in church, like you, you maybe even memorize the Great Commission, but to actually sit under it, it it's convicting. It, it, it really searches your heart. You, you really have to do a fearless moral inventory and, and ask some, some really basic questions. Like first off, 
am, am I a Christ follower? Do I identify myself as a Christ follower? I actually had a conversation with somebody in the Connection Center after the first service who was convicted. I mean, he was just convicted, like, I don't even know if I've answered that first question. And, um, but the question of, have I really left my former way of life? Have I surrendered everything to Jesus? Or am I just admiring Jesus? Am I entertained by his teachings and by the social environment of the church? You know, we often say if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So the question of, am I a Christ follower? Another question the Great Commission asks us or causes us to ask ourselves is, do I really believe that I too am called to this mission? That it's not just like pastors and like missionaries and like really spiritual people, like maybe my life group leader is called to the Great Commission, but like not me, because like I have like doubts. Like I have insecurities. So how, how could God use me? I was reminded of verse 17 in Matthew 28, where it says that, that Jesus um, had come to them and when the disciples saw him after the resurrection, it says they worshiped him but some doubted. And it was people that had, in the midst of their doubts, Jesus commissioned them, gave them his authority to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, I think sometimes we confuse doubt with disbelief. Disbelief is active resistance to God, but that's different than doubt. Having doubt is what it means to be human, to doubt yourself, to doubt that you have the ability to be able to do something that God's called you to do. That's very normal to feel, insecure, inadequate, incompetent. But my doubts, when I, when I surrender them to God, allow me to become more fully dependent on God and allow his power to be made perfect in my weakness. And so it's like the father prayed when his son was sick, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. The other question that the Great Commission causes us to ask is, does my heart break for the needs of the world? Does my heart truly break for the sin in my life, for the sin in my family, for the sin in the world? Does it, does it bother me enough to be compelled to, to move from one place to another, to leave my comfort and proclaim this message about the forgiveness that can only be found in Christ. Jesus commands us to go. It's not optional. This is not called the great suggestion or the great recommendation. This is called the great commission, co-mission, meaning Jesus is inviting you to participate with him and what he's doing in the earth today. And so the question for us to unpack today is why don't we go? Why do we stay? Why do we not more actively share our faith? I want to share four reasons why we stay. I can think of at least four. There's more, but we'll just talk about four today. The first one is bad theology. Bad theology. There's a, there's a stream of theology, particularly in America today, that has some really weird end times theology that causes us to disengage with the needs and the suffering of the world and to kind of pull back from the needs of the world and act like we're experts on everybody else's suffering. <laughs> and um, let me be clear, because I know I'm bringing up the word end times and a lot of us have been thinking about the end times, particularly in this last month. Let me, let me assure you, Jesus is coming back. 
Jesus is coming back and today is a day closer than it was yesterday. So we have to be prepared. Um, but so, so there's a healthy sense of understanding that the second coming is really should be uh, a central part and component of a biblical theology that Jesus is returning. He's coming back for his church. And the, the early church really believed, early church believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, which caused them to live with a sense of, of urgency. But sometimes this, this kind of end times theology can end up majoring on the minors and missing the bigger point. And so this happened even in Acts 1, where some of the, I mean, there's only 120 disciples at that time after Jesus um, resurrected before he ascended. And they wanted to know the day it was going to happen. And, and they wanted in some ways to politicize it. Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with it. In verse 6, they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, aren't you at this moment going to get Rome off our back and come as like the military Messiah who's going to like make things glorious like they did when King David ruled and maybe even more glorious. And Jesus responds and he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. We need to know the signs of the time. We need to know the season that we're in. But don't get all caught up on the day, right? Jesus even said, only the Father knows the day, <laughs> right? And so, so don't get distracted by the political kingdoms of this day and think that you just have to respond to their initiative. Like they go first and then we as the church have to respond to them and follow their lead. No, 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 no. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You have spiritual authority to be his witness. And so the kingdom of God is at hand. And so beware, especially we're going into an election season, there's wars breaking out, and it's just a lot of recipe for bad theology. So just be careful. And you have to know the Word of God, and not just specific verses in the Word of God. You have to know the movement of Scripture, of creation, and then fall, the fall of humanity. And then how God is trying to bring his family back together throughout all the Old Testament scriptures and this temptation towards idolatry over and over again, this temptation towards injustice and oppression over and over again. And then comes Jesus. He sends his one and only son into this world, lives a perfect life, dies unjustly on the cross, is resurrected three days later, sends forth his Holy Spirit, births his church, and he says, I'm coming back again. And so what happens sometimes is people will just like open their Bible and they'll read like one verse in the Bible and interpret everything in that one verse in Revelation or that one verse in the Old Testament rather than saying, no, 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 how does this one verse fit into the grand story of God? And so, so all this to say is that some people will, will try to get us to remove ourselves from the needs of the world rather than saying, okay, the fact that Jesus is coming back and it seems when I read the signs of the time today that it's coming back sooner, I should actually be more active in sharing my faith. I should be actually more sacrificial and more generous. Am I making sense? All right, second reason I think we're tempted to say stay is fear, right? Fear. So much of, for recent, in recent history, I think the fear as it relates to the Great Commission um, was like going overseas to another country and then never coming back. So like when my parents took us to the mission field in the late 1900s, 
there were no cell phones. Um, there was no internet. There was uh, no email. There were no daily flights. We went to Liberia. That's where we lived. And we would go, and it's like you go for four years at a time. And like you, there, you write letters that take a month to get back, and you drive into town once a month, 45 minutes, to have like a 10-minute call with grandma and grandpa. And that was the extent. But today, I don't think the fear for most of us is being sent to a country to where you'll never return from. The fear I see for most of us today is the fear of what others will think of me. The fear of what if I'm public with my faith on social media or in my workplace or in my friend group. If I tell people what I really believe, what will they think of me? It's the fear of rejection the fear of resistance, the, the fear of our faith costing us something. This last week I had dinner with a man who lost his job because of his faith, because of his Christian faith. He was a political appointee at a, a pretty high level for a mayor of a large city. And he had simply written a Bible study uh, for his church um, to help strengthen marriages. And two lines of the Bible study talked about his uh, biblical conviction of, of marriage between being one man and one woman for life. And he got fired from the mayor when somebody found that out and ran it up the line in social media and the mayor had no choice but to fire him. Ended up, was taken to court and he won four years later. And he wasn't sharing this with me to like have a pity party. He was filled with joy. As Paul said, count it a privilege whenever you suffer for the sake of Christ, right? But, but the point is, is like, we fear that those things are going to happen, and they might happen, but they also can strengthen our faith. So the point here is, let's not settle for a Sunday morning faith where we lift our hands and praise Jesus and say we believe in the word of God one day and then live contrary the other day. But help us to, to be willing at whatever cost, to not be fearful of speaking up in the classroom or speaking up in the newsroom or speaking up in the boardroom. And yes, you may lose your job, but God has your back. Your faith was never meant to be privatized and confined to Sundays, which is why we have to stay in prayer like these 120 were in prayer in Acts chapter one. They were praying for the power to move through their fears because our fears are real. They're not just made up. We all have them at certain levels. We all want to be liked. We all want to be accepted and loved. But sometimes we can center our fears and our feelings. And these are things that can prevent us from obeying God's word to go. The third reason that we're tempted to stay um, where we are is just simply a consumer mindset. And we've been discipled by our culture and all the messages we receive daily to think first, what's, what's in it for me, right? What's in it for me in this relationship? What's in it for me in this product? What's in it for me in this decision? And I think, you know, God understands, like, we're going to all think about ourselves. That's very normal, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Like, <laughs> there's a sense of just, like, we're all going to love ourselves. But I think we live in a culture today where we make that the, the, the end goal and the center of everything. Peter got like this towards the end of Jesus's ministry when he denied Jesus three times. Many of you know the story, right? He got so worried about his reputation 
and what was in it for him that he was like, I, I don't know who you're talking about when this young girl was asking him about her. And then we see in John 21 that Jesus restores Peter back to public ministry. And then even after all that happens, Peter is wor still worried about himself. He's worried about how he compares to John and what's going to end up happening to John. And Jesus just has to correct Peter. It's like, you just follow me. You, you just follow me. Right? And so the problem is when we approach faith in a consumer, what's in it for me mindset, then when something hard happens in our life that requires sacrifice, we begin to like pull back and be like, what's going on? Like something strange is happening to us. And it's like, no, 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 no. This, this is what it means to be a Christian, is to go through the fire and know that you're not alone in the midst of the fire. And so I have to, I have to train my, my mind to not live in a consumer mindset of what's in it for me, but instead retrain myself to say, okay, how do, I, how do I start with, how do I please and honor God in this situation? How do I bring forth solutions to problems rather than just bringing problems and more problems to the world, right? So it's, it's like this um, with like, you go to a restaurant and you have a bad experience and it's like, you know, it's the easiest thing is just to leave a bad rating and go off on that. And we've probably all done that, right? But uh, uh, to shift the consumer mindset to say, okay, why don't you take a minute to try to call on the manager and have a conversation with them and give them feedback about your experience and how they can improve it next time rather than just like going off, right? Like it's just, yeah, some of you work in restaurants are like, yes, please, thank you. Um, I used to deliver pizzas for Pizza Hut. I know what it's like. The service industry is hard, right? So, so but, but how, how do I bring solutions Per, per, constructive criticism. It's like, like this in politics right now, right? We're going into an election season. It's like the polls show that most of America is not excited about either presidential candidate. And, you know, a lot of people running for local office and people aren't excited. And it's like, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to spend the rest of your life complaining about politics? Or are you going to pray to God and maybe God will lead you to run for public office one day? There's a dignity in public service, right? And so instead of just acting like government is something out there, no, no, no. Like God has gifted you to be able to be in a position of influence. And then you'll realize how hard it is. Um, but, you know, we're swimming in this consumer culture and it's going to just get accelerated in this holiday season where what gets, it just gets hammered into our heads over and over that life is about us. It's about our feelings and our desires. And if we have enough resources, we can purchase certain products that will remove our anxiety and pain and bring us fulfillment. But we know that's a lie, but it's just like, it's so easy to believe that, isn't it? And so when we have that mindset and we're not aware of it, and then we hear Jesus's command to make disciples of all nations, we're first thinking like, what's in it for me? Or maybe somebody else could do that better. I'm just gonna wait. The fourth reason why we're tempted to stay is simply the devil. And I won't spend much time on this point because I don't like to give, give the devil too much attention, but the bottom line is the devil doesn't want you to go. The devil wants you to stay in your sin, to stay in your depression, to stay in all of your analytical thinking. And the enemy will use whatever strategy he can, he can to get you to stay. Even 
enemy will even use spiritual reasons. So one of the principles to, to, to understand about this is that whatever God creates, the devil counterfeits. Whatever God creates, the devil counterfeits. And so he disguises himself as an angel of light. So it makes it seem like it's God, but it's, it's not really. And so let's just take an example. God created you for the, to have the need of rest. Sabbath rest, baked in at creation, right? To rest from your work, to, to spiritually rest, to emotionally rest, to physically rest. Rest is a godly thing that we need to receive more, right? But the Satan counterfeits it and says, okay, you need to now make self-care the center of everything. You need to, to make it above everything. And so, you know what? Sharing your faith or traveling overseas or speaking up in a meeting, those things could trigger you or even re-traumatize you. So you should probably just keep your mouth shut and not take any risks. You see how it works. Use a spiritual reason like you need to have rest and take care of yourself, which is true, but then make that the primary thing. That's what idols are. They're good things that become ultimate things that we begin to worship and then we take our eyes off God. This is why we need power. This is, this is why Jesus told his disciples to wait to receive this power. He talks about it in, in Acts 1, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this filling of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, not just, not just there, there's, I've talked about it before, there's a subsequent experience in the Holy Spirit, it's mysterious, I don't seem to understand it all, but we receive, you can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. But you can't go to the level of your calling without a supernatural filling. The Bible sometimes calls it a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, two things happen. There's a lot of things that happen. Two main things happen. One is you receive assurance of your salvation. You have assurance that God is with you. He's present with you. And so you just, you just have this assurance that wherever God takes you, he is with you. That's the first thing. The second thing is you have boldness to be a witness. You have boldness to live out your calling. And so rather than just kind of always, how do I play it safe? Or I'm worried about what other people think. No, there's now the supernatural power to be bold for Christ in whatever spaces God may take you to. Here's the promise. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and moves you from a place of comfort to a place of alignment with God's purposes, which actually are way more fulfilling than what I thought was going to fulfill me, which was the American dream. Here's the American dream right here, and here's the kingdom of God. God wants to bless me, but he wants to bless me to be a blessing. The American dream says God wants to bless you just to bless you, just to bless you, to bless you, bless you, make it about, but God wants to bless me to be a blessing. And so, so then when God blesses me to move, to go move from one place to another, I'm moving from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's like my hometown, my home culture. It's where I'm comfortable. But get this, Jerusalem can be one of the most difficult places to share your faith. It's sometimes hardest to share your faith with a family member. Amen. Jesus said a prophet's not welcome in their hometown. 
So we need to pray for the Holy Spirit's power because it's just so easy when you go back home to just fall into old patterns. You know you've been transformed since you lived in that home, since you were in that town, but whenever you're there, even though it's comfortable culture-wise, you can speak the language, you love the food, but how does the gospel break into that? We need God's power to be his witnesses even in Jerusalem. But we're, we're, we're to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Judea is like close. It's far enough that you can get there and do like a week long trip, but then you can come back home pretty quickly. We all need to have Judea experiences in our life, but ultimately we need to move out towards Samaria. Samaria is like where our enemies live. These, these are groups of people that we've been taught to, 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 to not like um, growing up in our, in our home culture. And so when you have an understanding, when you come into relationship with Christ and you realize that Jesus died for the whole world, that he wants everyone to come into relationship with him, then your heart begins to break and you begin to say, how do I love my enemies, right? How do I love my enemies, people completely different from me? How do I build a relationship with them? And how do I begin to share Christ with them? Right? And so we need Holy Spirit power to be his witness in Samaria where mom and dad told, taught us not to interact with that culture. But we have to believe that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so help me, God, to move beyond my comfort zone. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth is like, man, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't even know where it is. I don't even know what it looks like, but... You know, for me, it's like, Ron, it's like, man, it's probably not access to internet or anybody. It's like no running water, no, you know. For, for a lot of you, our church is so global now, like you, you are living in the ends of the earth. Like Pastor Kevin reminds me like, no, he's now at the ends of the earth. This Washington DC is the ends of the earth. Like Western culture, secular culture is the ends of the earth, right? I don't know where your ends of the earth is, but it's trusting God to, to meet you in a place of discomfort. So Holy Spirit, help move us out of our comfort. I, I confessed this to you a couple weeks ago, that in my middle age, one of my greatest struggles in temptation is what um, Jesus calls in the parable of the sower, the third soil. There's different seeds that he, he sows his word, and it falls on different grounds. And you have to be aware um, it, it's so easy to think like, oh, I'm just this soil. And it's like, no, what season of life are you in? <laughs> and it's, it's like, so for me, it's like the third soil um, is where I'm tempted. It's like the worries of this life. I got teenagers. Whew, the worries of this life. The deceitfulness of wealth. It's, that's the place where, where thorns can grow and choke out the seed that was planted by God. And so I have to be really prayerful to not center my comfort at my age. I'm at the age where I start getting tired at night. I didn't get tired when I was in my 20s and 30s. I could just stay up late and get up early the next day. I get tired now, right? It's like, God help me, right? But this is why we need community, right? Yeah, that's right. We, that, that, this, the, 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 this temptation of the third soul, if you haven't experienced it, you will experience it at some point. And that's why we need community in our life. And that's why I praise God for this community. Because if you just start talking to people in the hallway after church or in your life group or at social gatherings and just say, what, how do you spend your time when you're not at church? Yesterday I was at the Rooted Celebration. 
We had like 100 people go through our Ruta curriculum this, and we were celebrating lunch. And I was just at the lunch thing and I asked somebody, um, how, you know, how do you spend your days? And she's an epidemiologist, like a PhD in epidemiology. And it was like one of the leaders in the COVID response, like leading it at HHS. I'm like, whoa, like epidemiology. And I'm talking to somebody else. It's like, how do you spend your days? Like I work in the ER like three nights a week, like gunshot victim here the last week. Whoa, like incredible. I was talk, talking to somebody else this last week who was in conversation with the foreign minister of Japan. And what were they talking about? They were talking about how Japan is uniquely situated to help broker a Middle East peace deal between Israel and Gaza because they're like over here in the Pacific Ocean. And it, they were like talking about how to lay the groundwork for a peace deal. People that we know in our church. Like somebody else uh, cutting off funding to Hamas in our church. That, that's just what they were doing. Others caring for refugees coming out of Ukraine. A conflict that we seem to have forgotten about, right? Because it's dominated by another one, right? But just, I love this city because it won't let you get comfortable, right? The, the, just the things that you guys are in, involved in. And I praise God that I married a woman who will not let me get comfortable. Yeah, I, I should say she won't let us get comfortable, but she's always ready to go. She's always ready to speak, always ready to obey whatever God says. And this last summer, I got to pick our vacation spot. You know, it been COVID. We haven't been able to travel for a while and saved up. So we go to this, like, we hadn't been to all-inclusive in like 15 years. And we're there and we're at the pool and we're sipping on those, like, um, I didn't even know, like, there's bars now in pools. Like, you don't even have to get out of the pool and you go up and it's like strawberry daiquiri, you know, and I'm sipping on that and I get out and we're having our little drink. The kids are playing. They're fun. They're, they're having a good time. They don't need us. And I'm like, I turn over and I'm like, hey, babe, where do you want to go for our next vacation, right? I'm just thinking like, we're just going to skip from one Caribbean island to the next, right? And she responds and she says, Lebanon. And I was like, Lebanon. She's like, yeah, you heard that right, Lebanon. To, to like Beirut and all the surrounding cities. And she's like, yeah, I want to, I want to take the whole family, the kids, like we're, we're family vacation this year. And you know what was... So interesting is that what prompted her to respond this way is our church community. That she was in the Connection Center four or five months ago and met a woman named Amy from Lebanon and her mom who was worshiping with us. And that, be, that led to like a lunch meeting to learn about their ministry, about how the gospel is advancing in Lebanon quicker than any other time in the last century and churches are planted and baptisms are happening. All we hear about is the conflict, but the church of Jesus Christ is growing in Lebanon. And so Amy's like, we're going to Lebanon. That's what it means to be on mission with God is to plan your vacation. So I'm like, you know, if any of you are married, you know, like if your spouse like says, like if, if your wife says like something strongly, it's like, I, I, it's already done. Like, I'm not even gonna like, we're going to Lebanon. Okay. So then I'm still trying to think about my comfort. I'm like, okay, that's a little risky. Blah, blah, blah. How's that gonna work with the kids and all that? And I'm like, okay, well, can we at least like visit a Greek island right afterwards? <laughs> and she agreed to that. Um, but my point is, is like when we think about how to orient our life, as we think about how to spend our resources, how to plan our vacations, God has built us to be on mission with him. Amen. Even with our kids, 
right? And, and God might not be calling everybody to go to the Middle East or whatever. I don't know, but what does your heart break for? And God is calling you to minister to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, there's a new project that I want to share with you guys that is so connected um, to this great commission of going to all the nations. I've been wanting to share this with you guys for months, but I just felt like it worked with this sermon and our passage. But it's a, it's a project to invest in Bible translation in hard-to-reach areas through a, an initiative called Illumination. So check this out. The year is 2013. At the time, there are more than 7,000 languages on Earth, and nearly 65% of them have little or no access to Scripture. That's 4,500 languages spoken or signed that represent people groups across the planet with no way to engage with the Word of God in their heart language. And though there are multiple Scripture translation groups working to reduce this deficit, in the year 2013, it's estimated that translating the scripture to every surviving language will take 125 more years. But then, in the last 10 years, everything changed. Around 2015, a collective known as Illuminations brought together the leading scripture translation agencies the movement that began with a few key donors quickly began to grow. In churches, at conferences, and worship gatherings, people across the nation began to learn about Bible poverty and the need for scripture translation. Christians of all ages responded to the call by investing in the 12 verse challenge and advancing the gospel one month, one verse at a time. Before long, tens of thousands of people had joined the movement and committed to bringing the good news to every person on the planet. Now, at the dawn of 2023, of all the lasting languages on earth, 73% of them have either received the scriptures or they are currently in progress. And for the 27% with no scripture at all, the timeline to address them has been vastly accelerated. No longer will it take 125 years to bring scripture to every language. Instead, we are stepping into the last 10 years before every language on earth has access to scripture. By the year 2033, 100% of languages will have a significant portion of God's word and 99.96% of them will have the full New Testament. This is the beginning of a decade that changes history. This is our time to rally the church and bring the hope of Jesus to every nation, tribe, and tongue through the power of His Word. Wherever you are, today you can step into the story of translating Scripture into every language. You can be a part of the last 10 years. Awesome, awesome. So, um... I don't know if you guys have ever been to the Bible Museum, but on the fourth floor, there's actually an illuminations room um, that really highlights the 
the, it has all of the, the Bibles that have been translated, and then it has like empty shelf uh, for ones that haven't. It's actually just so convicting. We take it for granted that we have the Bible in our own language, but it's like how can we get the gospel to the ends of the earth if there's still people groups that don't even have a New Testament? Or a lot of these are oral languages. They're not even written languages. So I've been following this Illuminations project. I mean, literally over $100 million has been invested to get all these 11 translation ministries to work together. It's amazing what happens when you work together um, and how it reduces timelines for them to take off the burden of fundraising to say, hey, we'll get the resources, let's collaborate, and what's already happened in the last 10 years. But I'm excited to share with you guys that our church is going to be sponsoring a Bible translation project in Burundi um, in East Africa. And so, yeah, that's pretty exciting. So, yeah, that's what we're celebrating. Um, so uh, we've been working with our partners there in Burundi around this. And so we're going to sponsor the con- a contemporary version of the Karundi Bible. So um, every- the good news is that everybody in Burundi speaks Karundi. So it's not like a lot of countries, there's like so many different languages. But the good news is like if you translate into Karundi, it gets out to the 12 plus million people that live in Burundi. Many of you guys know about Burundi, one of the poorest countries in the world. Uh, we had a chance to actually go visit Pastor Kevin, Yemi, and I um, this last July. You can show that picture and um, show some of the other pictures and just see a beautiful country, beautiful people. Um, but what this contemporary version is, is that the last version was translated um, into Karundi in like the early 60s. And half of, the, half of Burundi is under 18 years old. And so part of the important thing of Bible translation is helping make sure that there's a contemporary version that speaks our heart language today, right? It's, it's weird when you're like talking to everybody in one language and then you read the Bible and you feel like it's hundreds of years ago. That's why we have like the NLT and, and the NIV. So basically what we're doing in Burundi is helping them go from like KJV to uh, the NIV. <laughs> um, and so the good news is that this should be done by uh, next summer, I believe, and um, when we were there, just, you know, the access, we were up in this, in, in uh, Pastor Diodene's home village, and um, a lot of them didn't even have Bibles. We actually sent some resources to get them this older version of, of the Karundi Bible. But this new translation, we're going to make sure it's on a phone um, so people can, because, you know, people in even some of the most remote areas have cell phone towers and cell phone receptions, so to be able to have it on a phone, but also a New Testament, actually the full Bible. So, Really excited um, for that, and uh, we um, are going to give to that because of this Multiply initiative that we're a part of. You guys have heard about this two-year season called Multiply, and one of our big pieces of that is to multiply our generosity. So we have a goal of giving away $2 million over two years to plant churches, alleviate poverty, and pursue justice in the name of Jesus. And our board and our leadership really felt like Bible translation needs to be a big part of that. So excited uh, for that. So as you think about your year in giving, just remember that when you give to multiply, you're helping do things like get the Bible translated in Burundi. Amen? Amen. This is what it means to go. I want to read Romans 10 verses 14 and 15. It says, Paul says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, it's not enough for us to alleviate human suffering. It's not enough for us to do just acts of justice. 
Those are so important. You guys know those are so close to our heart as a church. Uh, we, we will continue doubling down on that. But those acts of mercy and justice actually remove barriers. But that's not how people come to faith. This passage says that, that, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God. And so we need to help get the word of God into every language and pray that God raises up people who have this missional mindset like you all, that they are actually a missionary in their culture so that there will be a proclamation of the word and that more people will come to faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we have, um, just as I close, we have three distinct anchors or um, the distinctives as a church. We call them anchors, um, being a multicultural church, a multiplying church, and then also a missional church. And missional means to live out your God-given mission in everyday life. It's this revelation that I am called to represent Christ wherever I spend my time, wherever God calls me, in my workplace, in my, in my neighborhood, um, in my family. And so, and so being missional means having the awareness that when you're in a conversation with your friends or at, at work and it starts spiraling downhill for whatever reason, being missional means that you believe that you have the power to shift the conversation towards Christ, right? Being missional means that you're a part of a community. Being missional means that you're, you're a part of a life group that has the awareness that we don't just exist for, for each other, but we actually exist for a mission bigger than we are. And so, so we, we wanna pray for um, a specific country in the world. We wanna pray that God gives us a heart and then we wanna pray every time we get together for that country in the world. We wanna pray that God would break our heart for that people group. We wanna pray that we can begin to build relationships with that people group. There's probably people in our church from that part of the world. We can build bridges to that community. Break our hearts, God, for what breaks your heart. How, how can I even go visit? How can I build a relationship? That's what it means to be missional. Being missional means that you have the awareness that when you have to travel for work on your business's dime or the government's dime, that you realize that you're being sent for a bigger mission than just what your roles or responsibilities say on your job description. That, that you are there to, to ultimately represent Christ and that you have the power when you're in meetings and when you're having conversations with your coworkers to, to help have initiate and sustain spiritual conversations with people, that your prayers can affect the boardroom, that your prayers can affect the, the workplace, the, the city or the community. God, break our hearts. It's not just coincidence that, that God, you send us to all these different cities and states and countries of the world. Being missional means that you have an awareness that you are on mission with God, even in your workplace. Being missional means that even when you're going, doing the ordinary things on your day off, when you're having dinner at a restaurant, that you have the courage to even speak up to the waiter or waitress and, and ask them if there's anything that's going on in their life that you can pray for before the meal. It's when you get in the Uber or the Lyft 
having the revelation that it's not just about them getting you from point A to point B, but maybe God in his sovereignty orchestrated for that person to be your driver so that you could initiate a spiritual conversation and either receive something from them because I've been prayed for by Uber drivers before or that you can pray for them and speak a word of encouragement to them as they live their lives on the busy streets of DC. For, for Amy, it meant this last week, following up with somebody who, who was just going through a lot and just sending them a text, uh, uh, somebody at, at our friend's school, and our, our son's school, and just saying, you know, how can I pray for you? And that just opening a door to a spiritual conversation. You know, some of you, might be wondering why your job is so unfulfilling. You guys ever wonder that? Why is my job so unfulfilling? And I'm wondering today if it might be because you are yet to see the reason, the full reason for which God placed you in that, in that position. That God has, has placed you there to have a spiritual impact on the lives of your coworkers. You know, it's so crazy the day and age we live in today. The nations are in DC. <laughs> like literally the nations are in our workplace. The nations are in our church. The nations are in Target. The nations are all over here. And so God help us to believe that, that this mission is possible. <laughs> not because of how awesome we are, not because of how well we know the Bible not because of how well we can answer all the apologetics questions, not because we have our whole life together, but because there is a God in heaven who sent his one and only son, Jesus, into this world, and he didn't just leave us with a great commission, but he, he gave us his Holy Spirit. He gave us his power, and he said, greater things will you do because I go to my Father in heaven. Amen. Where is it that God is breaking your heart today? Who is it that God is stirring you up to, to begin to pray for? It always starts in prayer. It always starts in prayer. Don't expect to be a bold witness in your workplace if you haven't first prayed for your coworkers. God, I thank you this morning. God, I thank you for each and every person that's here in this room today, God. I thank you for giving us the chance to reflect on your great commission that you have invited us to participate with you in. God, we thank you that we're living in one of the greatest times in world history. One of the greatest times. I mean, I don't know how many other times in world history there was a church as diverse or if there was an opportunity to be a part of so many different things, to be a part of seeing your Bible, uh, your word translated into so many languages. Thank you, God, that we live in a world today and you've given us things like the freedom to worship and the freedom to, to uh, share our faith that other people haven't had even in the world today. Forgive us, God, for the ways that that has allowed us to become complacent, to center our own comfort. God, thank you that you are at work in the nations today. Thank you, God, that your spirit is at work in the nations today. Thank you that even in the last hundred years, I think there's more people who have come to faith in Jesus than maybe the, the 1,700 years before that. It's an exponential increase of your church. God, help us to live with a sense of urgency, 
with a reality that you are coming back, you are returning. God, give us power to move through our our fears, to move through our consumer mindsets, to, to move beyond the political philosophies of this day that are not aligned with your kingdom philosophy. God, help us to believe that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. God, I thank you that even right now you begin to break our hearts for specific neighborhoods of our city, for specific countries of our world, that you would begin to show us that you've brought us to this great city, that you've brought us into our different workspaces for a reason that's bigger than what we can conceive on on our LinkedIn resume, that there's a greater purpose. So would you just download that to us right now? Would you show us by your spirit, download, give prophetic words, God, to each and every one of us right now. Help us to see where you're taking us. Help us be willing to go and to move beyond our comfort. We love you, God. God, we say we are available. We say like Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord, send me. God, I wanna participate in what you're doing in the earth today. I wanna be a part of it. I don't wanna miss it. But God, I confess my doubts. I confess my insecurities. I need your power. I need your assurance. I need your boldness. God, would you help me? Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me for your purposes and for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.